Um, our pastor is on sabbatical this summer, and we've had the opportunity to have lots of other guest speakers here. This morning we have Matt Tebby, who's going to speak with us, and I'll let him introduce himself. Good morning, everybody. My name is Matt Tebby. I'm a good friend of Nate's. I'm a pastor in um, Indianapolis, living Fishers, and uh, I'm going to preach here, and then I'm going to drive 17 minutes and go preach at my church as well. Uh, <laughs> it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, it's good to be back here. I've been here several times before when Nate's been away. Uh, it's great that he gets a chance to rest, and uh, we get a chance to serve the greater body of Christ like this. Amen? Um, will you pray with me, and then we'll uh, get started in our text for today. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the beauty of your church, the grace to gather here, having uh, your breath in our lungs. We're reminded with each breath that we participate in this divine reality, this created goodness of your love and of uh, your presence among us. So Holy Spirit, have your way now. Fill us with the power and goodness of God. Stir up within us hearts ready to receive what you would say to your people today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you have uh, your Bible, you're welcome to open it. I invite you to open it with me to Luke chapter 10. I know you're in a series on renewal uh, and you've been talking about renewal of self. I think you will talk about renewal of relationships. I'm fast-forwarding a bit. We're going to talk about renewal of mission today. And here's the good news. Here's the good news I want to proclaim today. That Jesus invites us into a kingdom mission that detangles and dethrones our bondage to worldly power, worldly possessions, and worldly popularity. The power of the kingdom of God is available to you today. <laughs> it's available for mission. And this, this is the spiritual power we'll see of weakness, of dependency, and of mutuality. We are invited into this renewal of mission under the lordship of Jesus today. Let's read our text this morning from Luke chapter 10. After these things, uh, the first nine chapters of Luke. The Lord commissioned 72 others and sent them on ahead in pairs to every city and place he was about to go. He said to them, the harvest is bigger than you can imagine, but there are few workers. Therefore, plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers for his harvest. Go, be warned, though, that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Carry no wallet, no bag, and no sandals. Don't even greet anyone along the way. Whenever you enter a house, first say, may peace be on this house. If anyone shares God's peace, then your peace will rest on that person. If not, your blessing will return to you. Remain in this house, eating and drinking whatever they set before you, for workers deserve their pay. Don't move from house to house. Whenever you enter a city and its people welcome you, eat what they set before you. Heal the sick who are there and say to them, God's kingdom has come upon you. Whenever you enter a city and the people don't welcome you, go out into the streets and say, as a complaint against you, we brush off the dust of your city that has collected on our feet. But know this, God's kingdom has come to you. Continuing in verse 16. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. Whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. 
The 72 returned joyously, saying, Lord, even the demons submit themselves to us in your name. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority to crush snakes and scorpions underfoot. I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice because the spirits submit to you. Rejoice instead that your names are written in heaven. Jesus invites us into his kingdom mission that detangles and dethrones our bondage, maybe even our addiction to an empire or a colonial or a worldly power, possessions and popularity. This is the power of the kingdom of God. It's available to us. It's the power of, of weakness and dependence and mutuality on mission. You're invited. We're invited into mission under the lordship of Jesus this way. About five years ago, I moved back to Indianapolis from a brief stint, uh, barely 10 months, I lived in South Carolina. We moved down, uh, first time I'd ever lived south of the Mason-Dixon line, moved down there in uh, like three days before New Year's 2014, and we pull up in this big truck, we'd moved everything from Indiana down to South Carolina, uh, right on the coast of South Carolina, and the truck is, is in the driveway 45 minutes. We, don't, we haven't even taken things out of the truck yet. We're walking through the house trying to figure out what's going on. And all of a sudden, my neighbor, uh, it's about 11 a.m., my neighbor starts walking across the yard. This guy's wearing flip-flops, a bathing suit, a tank top. He's got uh, uh, one of those turvis tumblers full of uh, liquid and uh, he's about six foot, 350 pounds. He comes walking up to me, uh, and he immediately starts talking about his three dogs. He's got these three dogs that, you know, hang out at his yard, and he said, you know, you know nobody's lived here for a bit. He said, so, uh, and I'm, okay, I, pause. My dad is in the truck. My five-year-old son is standing next, six-year-old son is standing next to me, and he goes, uh, my dogs, uh, they, they think they own this house too. He said, so if you see them shit in your yard, just go ahead and put your foot up their ass. And I was like, what? Yeah. I was like, uh, okay. Uh, so immediately I'm like, okay, this guy's a little rougher than maybe I'm used to. Um, and obviously he doesn't have a six-year-old uh, at home, or if he does, um, God bless that six-year-old. So anyway, he begins talking, and I realize he's, it's not even lunchtime, and he's into his, like, second bourbon and Coke. And um, I, his language is pretty salty. He's pretty uncouth. And I'm, I'm just sort of standing there thinking, okay, God, like, I moved down to South Carolina to work with a parachurch ministry that was going to equip and serve church leaders. And, like, this guy walks up from uh, kind of introducing himself to me, and immediately I'm seeing, okay, this guy is uh, probably an alcoholic, um, extremely uh, racist, and um, uh, came to find out that he was a bail bondsman. Let's call him John. He's a bail bondsman and a bounty hunter and a repo man. So this guy, like, intimidates heroin dealers for a living to have them pay him. And I'm thinking, okay, God, great, I get this. This is, like, th- this is one of the reasons I'm here right? This guy needs Jesus, and uh, I'm a Christian, right? And, and so he put me next to John so that I could witness to Christ, right? Um, the, here's the problem. Um, 
I was the squeaky clean Yankee uh, Christian working for a ministry. And when he found out that I was from the north and a Christian working for a Christian ministry, I never forget, John went, uh huh. And that was it. Anytime I attempted to do any Christian stuff, you know what I mean by Christian stuff. Anytime I attempted to do any Christian stuff to John, he would say, I see what you're doing. I'm not kidding. He would say, I see what you're doing. Or, I know what's going on. And he would shut it down. Like that. All my missional impulses, all my evangelistic impulses, I realized through my relationship with John, were baked and formed in, uh, in, a, in a culture that I'll call a colonial Christian culture. I knew what to do when I had power, when I was in charge, when I was in control, when people respected me, when people saw me as an authority, when I could trade on social and financial capital to get things done, to make things happen, to do ministry. But none of that worked with John. None of it. I was hapless. All my imagination for what mission looked like was rubbish when it was confronted with the on-the-ground, rugged reality of John. Have you ever had a relationship like this in your life? <laughs> kind of throw out the rule book? You know, everything, everything you've been taught or known and imagination's been shaped for how to do ministry, how to, how, to, how to care for people. It seems like it's impotent. Well, the good news is that today Jesus invites us. Jesus invites all of us to detangle and dethrone our bondage to colonial, worldly power, possessions, and popularity and to, to meet him on the ground of his kingdom mission, full of, of weakness and dependence and mutuality. This is kingdom mission. This is where the lordship of Jesus takes on flesh. Let's look at our text today, friends. This kingdom mission I'm talking about reorients our relationship to three things, at least. Power, um, popularity, and possessions. They all start with P, did you notice? means they gotta be true. <laughs> Let's look at our text, uh, Luke 10. After these things, this is verse one, the Lord commissioned 72 others and sent them on ahead in pairs to every city and place he was about to go. He said to them, harvest is bigger than you can imagine, but there are few workers. Therefore, plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers for his harvest. Go, be warned though that I'm sending you out as lamb among wolves. In Luke 10, friends, Luke 10, Jesus commissions and sends out 72 disciples to engage in his mission. We don't know their names. <laughs> they weren't recognized as leaders. They didn't have worldly titles or positions. They didn't have cards with pastor names on them. Uh, they didn't engage in mission as people in charge. They engaged in mission as sent ones. They went in pairs. So, there wasn't an overwhelming force of numbers. So they weren't uh, going to overwhelm by 
numbers, they will be outnumbered wherever they go. They're commanded to plead to the Lord to send out more people. But that's interesting because Jesus commands them to plead and then sends them. So there's this picture of even as you're sent, prayerfully ask God to be a worker and for workers. So there's this surrendered sentness, this consenting open-handedness, right, to rely on God's power. And then Jesus says you'll be a sheep among wolves. They will experience danger. They will be vulnerable. They'll be outnumbered, they'll be surrendered, and they'll be vulnerable, Jesus said. The power that they carry isn't the power the world uses to make things happen. Do you see that? It's a different power. They are to go embodying and extending the power of God in a posture of weakness, being outnumbered intentionally. This isn't an accident, right? Jesus isn't like, I'm sorry, I wish I could send out more than 72, but you know, we're gonna make do. No, this is intentional strategy by Jesus. The posture of weakness and outnumbered, vulnerable and surrendered. This is the posture in which the power of kingdom, the power of the kingdom inhabits. See, the, the colonial Christian impulse, the one that was baked into me, maybe you can relate to this or maybe you can see this around you, is the impulse to lead by leveraging structural and institutional power. Titles, worldly strength. We need positions, we need budgets, we need worldly authority to bring change. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? We make use of tactics and strategies to employ positional or societal authority on God's behalf. The, the, the colonial Christian impulse says, I'm here, you're welcome, listen up. I'm here, you're welcome, listen up. Uh, John would have laughed at me if I said that to him, or punched me. <laughs> the kingdom mission says, here I am, Am I welcome? I'm listening. Here I am, you're welcome. Listen up. Here I am. Am I welcome? I'm listening. You see the difference? You see the distinction? Jesus invites us today into mission that detangles and dethrones our bondage to the colonial power, to colonial uh, relationship, to power to get things done. His mission is done in kingdom power, going in weakness. Please help me. We're invited into this mission today unto the Lordship of Jesus. So not only, it not only reorients our relation to power, but also to possessions. Let's keep reading. Notice, Jesus says this in verse four. Carry no wallet, no bag, no sandals. Don't even greet anyone along the way. Whenever you enter a house, first say, may peace be on this house. Take no money, no change of clothes or shoes. Go having to rely on the hospitality of those who need the kingdom of God. Later he says, uh, go, when you go to a house, uh, remain in that house. Eat what's set before you. He says this twice. Go relying not on your own capital, but on the hospitality and favor and generosity of the people you want to reach. Jesus sends them out in need. This kind of flies in the face of 
most mission organizations. You've got to get 80% of your funding before they'll send you overseas. They have to rely on the people they want to reach. They go not in strength and plenty, but in weakness and in want. They, they go not giving possessions, but by receiving them, friends. The Christian, the colonial Christian impulse says, here, take this. We've got what you need. Here, take this. We've got what you need. Full of resources, willing to share. Um, a friend of mine uh, told me a, 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 uh, recently his church was a part of this large organiz, uh, organized uh, collective effort from a number of churches around his area where they did this canned food drive. Um, and they, they realized the food pantry in their city was understocked and in need, so they launched a four-week campaign, and they gathered over 20,000 cans of food for the hungry and homeless, which is amazing. It's amazing. So, uh, at the end of the campaign, he said they, they had a public worship service in an outdoor uh, mall area. Um, and they did a two-hour worship service where they these, these 10 churches um, gathered together and uh, they had people give testimonies from the stage about the things they've seen God do uh, during this canned food drive. Um, and they, <laughs> they stacked, I don't know if, I haven't seen this, I can just picture it. They stacked the 20,000 cans behind the worship band up into this giant wall. Now, that's probably some sort of code violation, right? Like uh, cans could fall and, and injure people, but they, they stacked these cans uh, behind, and it was basically this, this time of testimony uh, and worship. Now, I, I want you to be really, I want, I, want, I want you to hear what, I don't, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying, and I also want you to hear what I'm saying. What I'm not saying is this is wrong and bad. I'm saying this is our dominant imagination for how to go into mission with our possessions. There's a need, people are hungry. We are going to pool our resources and we're going to meet that need with our abundance. Yeah? You tracking? Even, even today, there's tithes and offerings. We're, 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 told and we're, we're told to give out of our overflow. Give from our generosity. And I want to say yes. And if that was a problem, I mean, if we didn't have an imagination for that, I would probably be preaching on that today. But I think most of us have an imagination for that. Our text, though, challenges us to rethink our relationship to our possessions. Are you with me? So that we, we don't have to say, that's wrong and this is right. We can say, can we inhabit this space with our possessions where we go seeking the hospitality and generosity of those we, we want to reach? The Christian colonial impulse says, uh, I'm here and I've got what you need. But Jesus today, this kingdom mission, he sends out his disciples to say, help, help, help me. Can I, can I have some food? You've got what I need. I don't know if there's a more challenging charge to, tell, to, to proclaim in an affluent suburb than that. One of the worst things we can, one of the worst things that can happen 
in the affluent suburbs of Indianapolis is for you not to be self-sufficient. To tell somebody who's not a Christian, who knows you're a Christian, I need your help. Uh, this is super important, not just as a strategy, but this, this is actually a, a, a const, like a, an important part of what the kingdom of God is. In verse eight, I, I, I've, um, in verse eight, Jesus says, whenever you enter a city and the people welcome you, eat what they set before you. Verse nine, heal the sick who are there and say to them, God's kingdom has come upon you. I've always thought, it, well, yeah, of course, when you heal somebody um, and they get healed, then you tell them, well, that's God's kingdom. But what's actually going on here is a bit more um, mutual. God's kingdom isn't just in the healing, it is. God's kingdom is in you receiving the food they're giving you. It's in this this reciprocal mutual relationship where you're giving and receiving with the person that you're attempting to reach. There's a new economy of mutual love and power that is created under the lordship of Jesus. This is the kingdom mission Jesus invites us into. He wants his lordship detangles and dethrones our addiction, our bondage to worldly power possessions and popularity and sets us free into mission with the the Holy Spirit power, the kingdom power of weakness and dependence and mutuality. Third, friends, notice notice how Jesus shifts our understanding of what it means to be accepted or to belong or maybe to say to be popular. Jesus commissions his friends in this text to go minister in a, in a, in a quiet, uh, almost under the radar, secret's probably too strong of a word, but almost s- like silent way. They're not to talk to people on the way. Don't, like, don't stop and tell people what you're doing or introduce yourself. Just go to, your, go to the city. Stay in the house that first greets you. Don't move from house to house. Not everyone's gonna like you or receive you. <laughs> don't worry about it. Don't sweat it. That's okay. Just move on. And later when he debriefs with them afterwards uh, and they're rejoicing about the power of God they've witnessed and the, the, the breakthrough that they've been able to participate in, Jesus says, that's great. That's great. Notice, let's not dwell on uh, the work you did. Let's dwell on, uh, this is an expression of your relationship with the Father. I think uh, this challenges me because the, the colonial Christian impulse I, I find in me is, is I'm in love with celebrity. I'm in love with um, like the, the name and the face and the reputation like my mission impulse is let's get a big name and a big place and get a lot of people in there and let's, let's pack it out, let's advertise, let's drop some mailers and let's get, let's get the word out to as many people as possible using as much cultural capital as possible to do it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Um, yeah. Let's get a big name and a big arena and pack it out. Spend lots of money. Hype, that this is the Christian colonial impulse. It's like, it's just a hype, right? We are sexy and important and smart. And you wanna be around us. We are sexy and important and smart and good. And you want to be around us. 
Um, I host a podcast, started about a year ago, and we just finished a series on Christians in power, and uh, didn't intend for this to happen, but interviewed a number of people on our podcast, and almost every person, whether they were talking about a book they'd written about power, or a police officer from Fort Wayne, or, or different, different things that we were talking about, almost every single one of them had a personal story uh, of experiencing an abuse of power in their local church. Where a pastor or an elder or a leader had uh, sinned against them and had, did not handle it in a just way. When I'm hanging out with my neighbors, um, I've got a, a, a Jewish guy married a Catholic girl and, and they, um, they don't go to church, they're sort of agnostic. An atheist friend married a Lutheran woman and they don't go to church, they're kind of agnostic. Um, I got another Jewish friend, man, I got, I got some great friends. Another Jewish friend uh, married um, kind of a, a Methodist girl and, and they go to synagogue, he goes to synagogue with their older son, but her and her younger son don't go to church at all. I've just got some really interesting, like, a-spiritual people in my life. And to a T, none of them are impressed with me. They, they all know I'm a pastor. I'm actually a priest. I've got a collar in my car. I'm gonna go to my church next and I'm gonna throw a collar on. They know that I'm a priest. They are not impressed at all. I have no capital because of that title or position. They don't look to me for answers, help, guidance, and authority because of that. In fact, at first, most of them were extremely leery of me. When they found out, I mean, it's, there's this moment in conversations where people ask what you do, and I just find, like, I can talk about what I do in weird ways that hide that I'm a pastor, but it always goes bad. Because eventually they find out I'm a pastor, and then it's like a pastor juke, you know? It always goes bad. So here's what I find. I find that that um, I, I desperately want them to think well of the church, well of Christians, well of me. But I find that kingdom mission, not in a colonial sense, but in this under the lordship of Jesus sense, here's what I find myself saying to them all the time. I know, I'm sorry. I know, yeah, that is awful. I'm sorry. You're right. Yes, that makes me sad. That's awful. I know. I'm sorry. Forgive us. I say this to Christians and non-Christians all the time about the church. I know. I'm sorry. It's awful. No defense. No justifications. No, not all Christians. No, not all pastors. Just that sucks. It's awful. I'm sorry makes me kind of the least popular person in the room at that moment. But this is what the kingdom mission enables us to do. If we are freed from needing to be in charge, to have all of the gifts that people need, to pass them out in a benevolent way, to be well thought of and well liked, if we are freed from the tyranny of those things, then we are able to engage in the kingdom mission Jesus describes here in Luke chapter 10. Free to go in dependence and weakness mutuality under the lordship of Jesus.
So I, I learned this from my friend John. Uh, that first in, interaction with him and then subsequent week or two after meeting him, uh, I thought, man, there's no way this guy's gonna be friends with me. We're so different. And he's got all this baggage with Christianity and pastors. But uh, John uh, saw my son, week two, shooting uh, buckets into our recycling bin, like, because um, we're great parents. And uh, he saw that, and he, he uh, He's, I called him the, the pit boss of our town. Like, he knew everyone. Like all, like, all the criminals basically feared him or owed him big time. And uh, all, the, uh, all the people of the town sort of knew of him, and he would throw his weight around, literally and figuratively, and, and kind of intimidate people. So he, he kind of, and he was also extremely gregarious and giving. So he found a basketball goal for my son and dropped it off on our our driveway. And then he didn't want my daughter, who was two at the time, to be sad, so he bought her a baby doll. He would, he would come over and just sit for hours in my kitchen. Just sit. Like, he would knock on the door, I'd open the door, and uh, he would just walk into my kitchen and sit down. <laughs> and talk to me. And talk to my wife. Uh, John, um, John asserted, we are going to be friends whether I wanted to or not. And it's the best thing that ever happened to me. One night, I was coming home about uh, six months after we got in there. John and I are really good friends. He's sitting on his back porch and I pull up my driveway and he calls me over and he goes, hey, I just want you to know those Christians you're working for, you can't trust them. I found in myself this desire to sort of defend and protect Christians, right? I really want to brush up the, uh, the image and the perception that John has about them. But John's story is he was raised kind of a fundamentalist Baptist. His mom and took him and his little brother to uh, Jimmy Swaggart revivals all over the South, gave all their money to this guy who ended up being a thief, and John was raised in poverty because of it. John's, the, the religious moral people in his life were condemning, judgmental, and harsh I don't want to defend that, <laughs> right? I don't want to say not all Christians. That doesn't help his pain. Just got to say, yeah, that's, that stinks. I'm sorry. That's awful. At the time when he said, you can't trust these Christians you work with, my first thought is, you're just bitter. Uh, five months later, I found out he was right. One night we were having uh, bourbon together. I had to make a decision um, he, he had really good bourbon. Um, I had to make a decision pretty quickly. Um, would I drink with an alcoholic or not? Um, it was really evident to me when I first met John that uh, if I were God, I would be convicting him about his racism and his alcoholism. But I'm not God. And God wasn't. And if I, if I need to be in charge and in control, I bring the conviction. Hey, John, I need to tell you about some things. Drinking is bad, okay? You shouldn't be racist, okay? That's not my job, right? It's not my job. 
Uh, so I, I had to die daily to needing to convict John of the things about him that offended me. And if I was going to love him. And I never would have done that if John hadn't just planted himself in my kitchen and made it a necessity. One night we're talking, and he said uh, he really took a liking to my son. He was my, he was my age, but he didn't have any kids. He lived with his girlfriend. He said, hey, if I could teach your son one thing, it'd be this. Trust no one. And I was thinking, man, I'm glad, I'm glad you're not going to teach that to my son. And I said, uh, and I, I learned, I was learning at this point, I can, I can decide to have colonial power with him and argue with him when he says things like this. Or, I can try to inhabit Luke 10 and think, what do I need to receive from him? How do I put myself in a posture of mutuality and weakness with John? And so one of the things I had to learn to do was ask questions. Not like, um, hey, don't you think your life's gonna suck if you live like that? I mean, that's kind of a bad question to ask, right? More of like, why would you teach my son that? Why does that seem so important to you? Just be curious. And he told me story after story of betrayal and abandonment by the people closest to him. One, I mean, it was just heartbreaking. One after another. One after another. And I said, well, John, it seems like you trust me. Why do you trust me? And he said this. Because I don't have anything you'd want. I, I, could, I could talk until uh, dinner time. The story's about John. The day we moved away, he, uh, we had friends come and help us load our truck. That's the last move we had people help us load. Once you get to be a certain age, you know what I'm talking about. You, your body says no more, and you're, you know you're cashing way more chips than you have with your friends to ask them to lift heavy things for eight hours. Um, but this was, so we moved away about five years ago. John came uh, to help but that just means he drank bourbon in our kitchen and bought pizza for people at lunch. And he was the last person to leave. Truck's loaded. He will not leave, and he's standing in my driveway, and he's got these Oakleys on, um, and there's just tears streaming down his cheeks. <sighs> and he told me, you love me? And I, f honestly, friends, um, it was like the hardest year of my life being in South Carolina. Everything I thought I was going there for blew up. Uh, but, but God taught me how to be on mission. Luke 10 mission through John. And so I told him that. I said, John, I came here to work for a group of Christians and I learned more about following Jesus from you than I did them. And I just told him, thank you. Thank you. There was no possible way all my baked in colonial impulses would work with John God put me in a place to help me see that his kingdom breaks in under the lordship of Jesus in weakness, dependence, and mutuality. That this thing in Luke 10 here isn't some one-off kind of fancy strategy 2,000 years ago, but there's something about this posture that dethrones and detangles us from our addiction to needing to be in control, to needing to be the benevolent one who gives but doesn't receive. 
and to needing to be well thought of and well liked so we can't own our own crap. Today, friends, we're invited into a renewal of mission under the lordship of Jesus in weakness, dependence, and mutuality by the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for us. God, uh, I, I just pray for my friend John. Um, I thank you that we're gonna get to see him in a couple weeks. Um, and I pray too for those who are here that have uh, people in their life who, uh, who are moving towards the kingdom of God, who, uh, who desperately need the good news of your lordship, Jesus, and your love and your light. And I pray, I pray for all of us that you would detangle our, our worldly attachments to needing to be in control, to needing to be well-liked, and to needing to have, uh, needing to give and not receive. God, we pray for your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.